0: Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Check it out. Um, this morning we have a great privilege to hear from a friend of mine that he's known me when I was in an adolescence and he was a youth leader at my high school and I was a misfit idiot, and he was a model of faithfulness. I remember one of my first exposures to Christianity was James Granger in a basement and sitting around, and they were singing songs, and I remember thinking, what in the world is this? And that became something that now I do, and I believe those seeds were planted. So I'm gonna get out of the way. I'm gonna welcome James Granger from Rib today. Come on, would you welcome City Life? Come on. Yeah, so uh, as Jerome mentioned, I I, um, have known him for a long time, and I was trying to think of the best word to describe him when he was in high school. Jerome was a, a straight-up thug um, as a high school kid, and that is no joke. Um, and now he's a straight-up thug for Jesus, and so it's, uh, it's all come full circle. So... Um, I am a pastor now at, at Riverview Church and um, we are so grateful for the um, ministry and mission that's going on here at City Life. We uh, pray for you all. We have supported you all financially. Uh, we will continue uh, to have you at the front of our uh, our, our prayers and anything we can do um, to partner with you all and advance the gospel in the Lansing area. Absolutely so thankful um, and, and behind what's going on here. City Life. As Drew as mentioned, I live in Mason. Mason used to be the home of one of the most dangerous intersections in all of Greater Lansing. If you've ever been kind of heading down to Mason on Cedar Street, you'll come to that intersection where College Road and, and, and Cedar Street cross. And that intersection used to be dangerous because there used to be no stoplight there. And so you would be coming up on College Road and there are stop signs on College, but Cedar Street is four-lane, divided highway. People speeding through there. The speed limit, I think, is 55, and people would be going 75 and up and down. And so, on one particular occasion, I was coming up College Road and and I stopped at the stops. I looked to my left. Nobody coming, so I went across to sort of the median. There was a little landing area there, and to my right, there was a van coming up in the near lane, so I waited, and the van passed, and I started across the intersection, and I didn't realize that behind that first van, in the blind spot in the other lane, there was another van coming. And so I screamed... And Jerome said I wasn't allowed to swear during these sermons, so I I, I screamed, "Darn it!" and I, I I slammed on my brake, and the person driving the van thought I was going to continue going across, and so she slammed on her brakes, and her van slid up Cedar Street as she was going so fast, and across and down into that ditch that's kind of on the north side of Cedar Street, and of course, you know, as, as you're in that situation, you've, your heart is pumping, and the adrenaline, you're like, what is happening right now? And so my hands are like shaking, and I I, I never uh, hit the person, but there was this like, all oh, commotion and everything, so I pulled across, and I got out, and I ran down to see, and and uh, this old gentleman got out of the car and the woman was just hysterical who had been driving the car. She was yelling and crying and and this guy and I started, are you guys okay? And he said, it'll be fine and everything like that. And so eventually I went and got back in my car and I was waiting for the, the police to come and, um, you know, figure all everything out. And then I began to think, as you would in that situation, am I going to get a ticket for this? You know, did I do, what did I do? Did I do something? I guess it was kind of wrong what I did you know what I mean and Oh, I'm glad she's okay because, you know, it's going to have been really bad. And I start, I began to kind of process all this. So the policeman came and he went and interviewed this couple. And then he came over and rolled down the window of my car and he said, hey, I'm going to give you a ticket for failure to yield today. And he said, hey, I just wanted you to know something. The old gentleman who had been driving this van uh, told me that their daughter had has, was killed at this exact intersection in a car accident about six months months ago. (sighs) Whoa. And all of the sudden, um, this new information caused me to completely change my perspective. You know, I had been mostly just kind of looking down my own issues. What's going to happen to me? Is this going to, how's this going to affect me? And all of that just decreased immediately. And, and I, I was able to kind of look up um, and realize, I mean, my compassion for this couple just skyrocketed, right? I mean, I just, oh, what must it be like for them to drive past this intersection every day thinking about their daughter? And I began to realize that something bigger was going on, something life or death, and that I had been missing it. What if there's always something bigger going on, something life or death, and most of the time we're missing it. How would our lives change? How would our view of ourselves change? Our view of others, our view of our circumstances, if we lived like we believe what we actually say we believe is true if you're new to City Life, uh, so am I. Welcome to me and to you. Uh, Here at City Life, the, the current teaching series is called Live Diff. The idea being, I think, that those who live, who follow Jesus Christ, have an opportunity to live their lives in a distinct way, to live differently in order to bring glory to God. There's something that God does that changes you, that sort of makes you stand out as a follower of Christ. And that distinctive, that difference that we're going to look at this morning is simply this. What if we lived as though the eternal outranked the temporary? Paul says it this way in Romans chapter eight, verse 18. He says, for I consider, this is what Paul believes to be true, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Say that with me, okay? Romans eight eighteen. it's up on the screen behind me, ready? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Will you consider that with me, with Paul, this morning? Now be careful, because most people do not consider this to be true, at least in the way they live. Most people, this myself included, spend the bulk of their time and effort trying to milk as much as they possibly can out of the current moment right? It's all about me here now. We get wrapped up, sort of head down. This is my world. Everyone else is just sort of living in it, right? And so most people will gladly sacrifice the future for the now. That's why the average American household carries about $7,000 in credit card debt. That's just the average. That includes the people who carry zero into that average. It's like the old George Carlin comedy routine. He says, we spend money that we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like, right? And so I want it. It's, it's, gonna, it's gonna give me this little hit now. It's new, it's fresh. And, and we just forget about the fact, the impact that this is gonna have on our, our situation longer term. Imagine for a moment if there was a, a line on the wall in this Building and it just was one of those ones in math class that had the arrow on both ends, it just extended infinitely in every in both directions, right? And that line represents eternity, all of space and time. And then maybe right over here, there was a dot on the line, and that dot represents the amount of time that you and I will spend living here on the earth within the construct of all time and space, all of eternity. Now, it would make no sense for us, given the scope of eternity, to focus most of our time on the dot, but that's exactly what we do. What we need to realize is it's not that the dot isn't important, because it is. Our lives matter. We are significant. What we're doing in this life is critically important, Very consequential. It's that the dot is part of the line. The line is what gives the dot context. It's the eternal that makes the temporary so meaningful. What if we were to live differently? If we were to rank the eternal more highly, to have peace in the midst of panic, to rank others above ourselves, to trust God's perspective above our own understanding. Now, as with everything, Jesus is our example in this, right? Jesus lived his entire life, the dot, his human existence was, was temporary. It's 33 years. He lived that with the mindset and for the purpose of, exam, uh, uh, of, uh, of uh, advancing God's eternal agenda, And so what we're gonna do for the rest of our time this morning is just laser focus on this little story about Jesus in John chapter five, okay? So if you have a Bible or if you have a little device you wanna search along and find John chapter five, the first 10 little verses there, because Jesus shows us in the way he lived what it means to live for the eternal, and he kind of peels back the curtain. You know, in that moment when that policeman told me what had happened with his family, it was like the, the, I got a glimpse. The window was open, my eyes. And Jesus, the way he lives, shows us uh, why, it gives us the opportunity to believe that what Paul said is true in Romans eight eighteen as we watch the character and the behavior of Jesus. And so John chapter five, verse one, it starts like this. It says, and after this, There was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And so the idea here is that three times every year, all of the Jewish people in the world, this is in the first century, a couple thousand years ago, all of the Jewish people in the world, this is several million people in the time of Jesus, they would make these pilgrimages to Jerusalem for these massive celebrations. It was like 10 days to two weeks of eating and drinking and praising God and celebrating his goodness in their lives. And Jesus, because he was Jewish, he always went to these feasts, okay? Every one of importance in their community was in the temple in Jerusalem for this big party. Verse two says, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda. It has five roofed colonnades, okay? So it's like a covered porchway or archways over the top of this kind of pavilion. In these archways lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Okay, so what's going on here is one aspect of the, of the Passover is that each family would bring a, a lamb with them to make an offering. They would actually sacrifice this lamb and it represented, it symbolized they're confessing their sins to God, they're asking for forgiveness, their commitment to God. They would do that every year. And Bethesda, this pool, I have, I've gotten the chance to visit the, the excavated ruin there. It's, it's almost the size of like an Olympic swimming pool. It's huge. And it sat just outside of what this area they called the Sheep Gate, everybody would, on this road, they would bring their lamb in the Sheep Gate. Um, That was just where everybody entered the temple. And before they would go in, they would wash their lamb in this pool. Okay, and so uh, there's hundreds, thousands of people passing by on this road, dunking there because you don't want to bring a dirty lamb for your offering. You want to clean this thing up, make it perfect and spotless, and everything like that. On the other side of the pool, you see there in the story, there was people that were sick that were gathering there. And so there is this sort of stairwell and this kind of covered area um, where there's people that, uh, as you can see in the text, blind people, lame, paralyzed. It's kind of like their version of a hospital. In fact, I lived in Cincinnati for a while, and the hospital network in Cincinnati is called Bethesda. Uh, It means uh, House of Mercy, uh, the, the word there, Bethesda. And so you can kind of picture the scene. There's thousands of people passing on one side of the pool and they're all excited. They're fired up. They're going in for the party. We got our lambs, We're this big buzz, this big momentum. And right there on the other side, there is this broken, desperate community of hurting. I mean, the irony of this, um, it's, it, I think our cities can feel this way, right? I means like we walk right by the homeless shelter on the way to a playoff game. And it's this weird dichotomy where there's both and happening at the same time. Now, I'm going to step out of the text here for a moment and just share a little bit with you, my family uh, can relate a little bit to to that feeling of what it must have been like for those infirmed, ill people to watch this thing happening as it's been passing by because as you can see there, we have, it's a sweet picture, look at us. That's me over there and my wife there in the middle. We have three boys and uh, Sam, Jay and then Luke here in the front. Um, last August, Luke received, and our family, a very, very serious diagnosis. Luke has a, a rare form of cancer, and it is life-threatening. It, is, um, it was just an absolutely devastating whole situation where Luke has had multiple surgeries. Um, he's been through over a year of, of chemotherapy, um, he did 56 days of radiation treatments. And some of you, I can see you shaking your head You or somebody that you know has been through some of this stuff. And it is just as terrible as it sounds. I mean, it is very, very terrible. Um, we love Luke. Um, his prognosis is guarded, but it has been slowly still. Every time they scan his body, they see a little bit less and less and less of this cancer. And we have, there's so many people have been praying for him. In fact, um, a couple of weeks ago, this crew from City Life came to my house and brought a meal to our house, which was awesome. I don't know if I'm, what's, this guy right here was there and a couple other people. And, and um, we have, if you want to, uh, join in praying for Luke. We have a, a blog set up. I think I put the uh, address to that blog on the, uh, the on one of the slides. She can pop that up for us, but you can uh, join, maybe bring a meal to us, something like that. Do we have that address? Yes, no, maybe? Oh, it's on the bottom. I can't see the bottom for because of the thing there. So maybe snap a picture of that if you wanna do that. But But we can relate to this vibe at Bethesda Uh, Because Luke has felt like, you know, I'm stuck in the hospital. Uh, I'm trapped in this illness. And he can look out the window literally sometimes and see the sun shining, see the cars. We're, we're, we're being treated there at DeVos in downtown Grand Rapids. And it's right in the middle of just life is happening. It's just a bursting area. And everybody's just buzzing by as he's just sort of stuck on the 10th floor or the ninth floor. Not, I mean, I, I can feel sort of that tension that must have been happening. This desperate sort of exhausted, am I ever gonna get better feeling that's that's Bethesda. Verse 5 says this. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Can you imagine? 38 years. I get sick for a couple days, I'm not that much fun to be around, right? I mean Luke has been 16 months. It's felt like 38 years. I mean this is this is lonely. It's it's discouraging. I think that word invalid is really interesting, isn't it? Because you feel invalid when you're that person. Do I even matter? Does anybody even remember? I mean, he's been sick for so long. It's like that's just the guy. He's sick. I mean, his family, right? The spiritual suffering that this guy must have undergone. Uh, in that community, you were considered unclean. He's outside of the temple uh, watching as sort of the celebration, you can hear it on the other side of the wall. Verse six says this, when Jesus saw him lying there, when Jesus saw him lying there, shouldn't Jesus have been in the temple where the celebration was? I mean, that's where the important people were, right? Now Jesus, God himself, steps into this guy's pain. He shows up. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you wish to get well? Now that seems like a dumb question. Maybe a bit of a mean question. Are you serious? 38 years? Do I wish to get well? Yeah, I think I do. (laughs) Right. But here's Jesus, right? He's, he's brilliant with these questions. Here's the idea here. I think, I think this is true for us too, that oftentimes the fear of change that we have inside of us is greater than the desire we have to get well. It's like this guy is, is miserable, but it's his miserable, right? You know when people like that, they're, they're, they're in this situation and it's just destructive, but they won't get out of it. I, I think Jesus's question here is, do you wish to get well really? Because if you do, why are you hanging out here for 38 years? What are you doing? And the sick guy has an answer. Verse seven, he says, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am going, another steps down before me. So there's something about these pools. We're not exactly sure. The scholar's different, but we know for sure the water would move in the pools, the the pool of Bethesda. Some scholars say there's actually runoff from the temple, uh, the gutter system there. Some say it was an angel of God would stir the waters, or maybe there was a Greek myth or something. We don't know for sure, but they believed this is why they were congregated there that the first person to get into the water, when the water would stir, they believed that person would be healed. And so there is just this mad dash the guys like describing. Every time the water stirs, everybody's literally stepping on top and over the top of me, and I can't get there because I'm the, my particular illness, I can't move. He's, in, you know, he's invalid, invalid, and, and the blind guys are diving in or just chasing whatever that can, can have more mobility. And so we all have these pools, right? This is the, the person or the place or, or whatever is out in front of us, the what if where our hope lies, right? If I can just get in there, uh, then I'll be healed, Right, we all have sort of these pools. And Interesting to think about if they actually get into that pool, think about what that pool must have smelled like with the number of people that have washed their land, but that's a different conversation, I think. But um, nasty. For some people, money and wealth and affluence, that's their pool. If I can just get to here and I can build this level, then uh, everything will be fine, I'll be healed. For some people, it's pleasure is their pool, or success, or comfort. If only, if only I could get into this career. If only I could be in a relationship with that person. If only I could be out of a relationship with that person. Right? We all have sort of this if only what if sort of mindset. And most pools that we think are going to satisfy, they're they're temporary. We kind of have our heads down, right? If they offer any relief at all, and most of them offer something, it, it doesn't last very long. I think it's worth asking, is it possible that the pools that you're trying to jump into to find life won't give you the life that you're seeking? See, the true test of, of, of the effectiveness, the value of your pool is what happens, does it, does it, what does it do when life really happens, right? When you get passed over for the promotion, when your marriage starts to fall apart, when the doctor calls, when you've been sick for 38 years... You know, people in those situations aren't thinking, ah, I just hope the lions win. You know, I just, I hope I get the parking spot or I hope I, you know, there's all these little temporary things that we are so stuck on, right? Where is your hope? Is it in the temporary or, or the eternal? Jesus walks into this guy's life and the very definition of hope for this guy changes. Verse eight says, Jesus said to him, the guy said, I can't get in the pool, people are climbing over me. And so Jesus' response is, get up. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk, forget about the pool. And at once, boom, the man was healed. And he took up his mat and he walked the unlimited power of god on display in the voice of jesus he speaks and immediately the man became well completely healed i picture him like one of those little baby deer that was just born I man walked in 38 years just trying to figure out how and just like imagine oh my gosh i can do this this is crazy so so luke um, a part of his treatment, like I mentioned, has been that he's had some surgeries, and one of the surgeries he's had on his on his leg, the um, at DeVos where he's being treated, they have these uh, they have these guys called uh, people there that work. They're called Child Life Specialists that help you as a child to navigate difficult situations, blood draws, and surgeries that kind of a thing. So Spencer is there with Luke, and he says a lot of times they, they need to write something on your leg that you're gonna have surgery on so that they do the right one and everything like that. It's a weird thing or whatever they do. They, and a lot of times people like to choose, do you want me to write something specific on your leg? And so Luke said to him, this is Luke at 15, he says, I want you to write Romans 8.18 on my leg. And so I took a picture of that. Spencer wrote, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, I, I was sitting there in the room with Luke and Luke had been, for a couple of weeks, he had been really on my case because I had perpetually been crying a lot around him because this diagnosis, I still cry all the time, every day as a result, just processing all this. He says, Dad, it's very unnerving to me when you start crying, and I haven't seen you cry very much, can you? So I would go sit out in my car you know, hide or something when you know, I was gonna cry. And I said, look, if you don't want me to cry when I'm around you, then don't have Romans 8.18 written on your leg in front of me, because I'm gonna cry for like the next three hours of that. But it was Luke teaching me through the wisdom of God's word, the perspective that I, you know, his leg is his leg. You know what I mean? This surgery, this whatever's going on, the, 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 the idea here is, that you know Luke's short-term prognosis may be guarded, but his long-term prognosis, because he trusts in Jesus, it is pretty, pretty good, right? And I, I needed to remember that. I needed to remember that. And what Jesus does here at the Pool of Bethesda is, is helps us to believe in and live by the truth that comes from a verse like here in Romans 8.18. Here's three things I want you to grab a hold of very quickly. One, God is present. For 38 years, this man is alone. He's suffering. And in the midst of that pain, don't miss this now, the creator of the universe, the God who stands outside of time, who created time, the sovereign king of kings walks over and says, do you wish to get well? God knows your future. He has secured an eternal future for you on the cross in Jesus Christ. You can trust him. He is present. Secondly, he's powerful. I just love the fact that the sound of his voice, sickness just runs and hides, it's gone. God is in complete control. See, we tend to think when things are going well, when we're healthy, we tend to think, you know, I'm doing that. It's mostly because of me. I'm better because I'm not sick than people that are. And we have this mindset. We, if we are honest, we tend to think that way. And when we get sick and then things get, then we think, I got better, right? And we forget that we don't take one single breath apart from God's power and grace in our lives. In Colossians, it says that he is the one who's holding everything together all of the time. Every single time our body recovers from an injury or illness, it's because God doesn't. He is the one who holds it all together. He is not surprised by anything that is happening here. He can do anything. His will is perfect. So he's present, he's powerful, and then he is purposeful. He's here to save lives. That's his purpose, right? I love how this story ends. In John 5, verse 13 it says, now the man who had been healed didn't know who it was who had healed him. He didn't know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn. Jesus was like a ninja, apparently. And there's like 10 times in John that he's like slips away. And they're like, where did Jesus go? There's a big crowd. Afterward, Listen to this now, verse 14, don't miss this. Jesus found him in the temple. Imagine that, imagine him walking through that sheep gate with everybody else after 38 years, right? And he said to the guy, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And I'm thinking, well, what worse possibly could happen to him? 38 years of sickness, that's the worst thing ever. And I'll tell you what's worse, to die without knowing Jesus is far worse because that's eternal. I'm so thankful. Now, whatever happens with Luke in the near term, right? He trusts Jesus. Jesus says to the guy, you are are well physically, now let's talk about your soul, right? because that's the important conversation. I'm glad that I was able to heal you. Now I want you to live with me in glory for eternity. Go read the book of Revelation if you don't know what that's gonna be like. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who would heal them and they, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath because they just got their head down. They're in the moment, right? But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Jesus says, I'm doing something here. I have a plan. I have a purpose. God is working. I am working on his behalf. My purpose, Jesus says, is eternal. What if we lived as though that were true? if we adopted that purpose as our own as well, right? And so Luke's situation, this is how it's applied in our lives. It's placed our family squarely in the midst of Bethesda. The the cancer ward at a children's hospital is a hard place. Honestly, oftentimes it is a horrible place. Luke and our family, we've been to three funerals already in the last year of kids we've gotten to know and families. It is really tough. And we are there all the time. We hate it. We hate being there. We wish we weren't, but we're there. And in a sense, I think we, we get to be there. It's where God has us talking with doctors and nurses and caregivers, listening to kids who are sick and struggling and their family members who are searching for answers. You know what we get to do? We get to pray with them. We get to tell them about Jesus. We go, how are you even navigating this without faith in God? I don't know how you would even do that. Let's talk about that telling them about Jesus in the midst of the horrible. And here's what I've, I've, I've learned and observed. God loves to bring blessing through brokenness. It's just in his nature. It's in his character. It's the gospel. Jesus, he saved every one of us through the most horrible circumstances of dying on the cross. Through pain, through brokenness, through death, we have life. Will you please go be Jesus in a broken place? It could be any broken place. There are no shortage of broken places, amen, for us to go. Maybe someone in your family is, is hurting and you've sort of just been circling around it, right? Just kind of dodging it. I don't wanna, you, you, you need to wade in to that. Maybe it's a, a coworker. Maybe there's a local elementary school where where you know the kids need someone to step in a homeless shelter. Maybe it's McLaren Hospital or, or Sparrow where there's kids, where there's struggles. See, it's so easy to just drive right past the Bethesdas of this world to keep our heads down and try to avoid the pain and the brokenness and seek comfort in our own little bubbles, right? We need to look up to peel back the curtain. See, that couple in the van, there was something bigger and I would have missed it. I would have missed the the, the pain behind their eyes. We need eyes, God's eyes, Jesus' eyes to see the bigger picture, to see past the surface. Now you're already doing this at City Life. I love, love how you guys are engaging the city. It is so encouraging to me. So grateful. Your heart for Lansing is so obvious, it's amazing. And so I'm here to say, keep on keeping on with that. Keep going, go city life. Let's live differently. Everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. Let's sacrifice the temporary for the eternal. In how we leverage our time, our finances, our our influence. That's a worthwhile trade. In the way we think, in the decisions we make, let's lay down our very lives if we have to, to show people Jesus and help them get saved. Amen? And so I'm gonna have Jerome come on up here and join me. We're gonna say it one more time together. Say it with me, Romans 8.18. This will be our, our closing prayer. You guys ready? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. Thank you, Pastor James. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing Podcast. Loving you and loving the city, one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelancing.com. You belong here.